All right. Well, welcome back. And we're going to turn to Jeremiah 26. We're trying to get to the next section. We're moving through pretty quickly. Uh, that'll be after chapter 33. Uh, uh, this is sort of the segment uh, all the way through the beginning of the book until chapter 33, in which God is dealing through Jeremiah with the nation or I guess the nation of Judah, <laughs> the two tribes in the south. And remember now, we're coming to that place, this is important, we're coming to that place where Babylon is coming on the scene used as a servant of God. The enemies of uh, God's people is going to be used as a servant of God, and Babylon now is going to come around the city of Jerusalem in around 588 B.C., and finally for lack of a better way of saying it, just sort of squeeze it to death in 586 B.C. And that's where we find ourselves, sort of, as we move through this book of Jeremiah. And I want to remind you, if you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, this is important. In the last chapter, God told the nation through Jeremiah that they would be in captivity. They would be taken and be held prisoner, captivity, in Babylon for 70 years. And that's a really important thing that God did. And the reason God made it 70 years is because in the law of God, Leviticus, God said, plant your crops for six years, and then in the seventh year, don't plant. Just trust me. And there's no evidence that Israel ever did it. And so they did it over a 490, 500-year period, and that would equal the 70 years, you see, that Israel stole in, in a matter of speaking from God. Now, it teaches you a valuable lesson. That's important for tonight. It teaches me a valuable lesson. Don't you think it's odd that God said, you're going to go in captivity, and one of the main reasons you're doing it is because you didn't do what I asked you to do with respect to six years on, one year off. Does that sound weird to you, uh, strange to you? But I want you to see in a real interesting, profound principle that sticks in your head, not only is God telling them to know the Word of God, six years, plant, seven-year rest, He's asking them to obey the Word of God. You get that? Not only is he asking them to know the Word of God, know the facts, know the law, know the Scriptures, but then trust me, when it looks like, humanly, people won't trust. You, you tracking with me? <laughs> so watch this. Now we move on into chapter 26, and chapter 26 is almost identical to chapter 7. I told you that all the way back in chapter 7. These are called the sermon, or excuse me, the temple sermons. And some people believe chapter 7 and uh, chapter 26 is just a recounting of chapter uh, 7. Some people believe it's different because of the word they use for the gates there. Whatever, let's look at it. With the principle in mind that God was going to take the nation or the two tribes of Judah, Judah and Benjamin, Judah, and take them into captivity. And it was judgment, and it was hard, and it was difficult, but watch. 
if you trust me, he says, or not if you trust me, he says, I'm going to bring you back after 70 years. There's grace there, and we talked about that. So putting that aside for a second or lodging it in the back of your mind, it says this, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, Jehoiakim, son of, son of Jeho, uh, Josiah, that's too removed after Josiah, Jehoiakim, king, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord saying, thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house. So not only did he have to go to the gates, chapter 7, now he has to go to the court. Some people think it's the same. Some people it's a different sermon, like I said. But watch this. Remember this. Jeremiah comes from a priestly family. <laughs> right? How difficult would this be? I mean, can you imagine Jeremiah in his prayer time saying, Lord, if it, even if it was one time, but if it was a second time, Lord, it's my family. And the Lord says, no, you have to say this. Here's what I want you to say. Verse 2, thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the citizens of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. Can you imagine all of them happy? It's a, it's a, it's a festival probably, and all they're coming up, you know, everybody's uh, feeling great. And tell them all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not diminish a word. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I pur purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me walk in my, or to walk in my law which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded then I will make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. See, uh, Jeremiah, I want you to see this. Uh, Jeremiah was with the Lord and received from the Lord and then preached to the people, watch this, what they had to hear what was necessary for them to hear for their spiritual growth. Watch this. He didn't preach what they wanted to hear. He didn't preach what they wanted to hear. And if you actually turn over to some very famous passages, do, a fa do me a favor and pass or uh, move over to 2 Timothy. Uh, go over there. You know this scripture, and yet I wonder if you've thought of it in this way. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and most of you know where I'm going here. In verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, just follow along with me here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Watch what it's profitable for. Watch what scripture is profitable for. It's not necessarily what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. It's what I need to hear. One of the great things of the Bible is when you read the Bible, you come face to face with God. But there's another thing the Bible does. It makes you come face to face with yourself. And watch this. It says that Scripture is given by inspiration for doctrine. Oh, we jump up and down. Doctrine. Yeah, man, I'll know my doctrine. 
I can debate with people. That's awesome. How about this one? Now it gets less good for reproof. When your conduct is ungodly, Scripture, the Word of God taken in by the child of God, by the Holy Spirit of God, does a real number on our behavior, our conduct, our godliness, our righteousness, the things that we do. You see that? And who here, who here, just raise your hand in your natural inclination without the Lord in your life, loves to be reproved? Nobody. Who here loves criticism? That's reproof. That's what the Bible does. That's what Scripture does. It's for correction. That means you're on the wrong path. He puts you on the right path. You're doing one sort of lifestyle. He takes you to another sort of lifestyle. Your mouth is saying these sorts of things. He's saying in his word, don't say those things. Say these things or or whatever. You see, for instruction in righteousness, how to walk, how to do what's right, that the man of God or the woman of God may be what? Complete and thoroughly equipped for their happiness. It does not say that. For every good work, which is an eternal work, which means, look, look, folks, your life isn't just about, you know, vacations and white picket fences. Your life is for something bigger, and that's for the Lord's work. And the Lord is doing something through his word. And oftentimes, watch this, his word hurts because it makes you come face to face with who you are and who God is. And you're like, whoa. I want to please my Father gracefully by his grace. And his word says, I'm off base. Who likes to admit that? And yet, that's what the Bible says. Well, check out this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. Watch this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, why did I tell you that? Because you see, a lot of congregations want to hear the good stuff. And what that is saying is both to the leadership of the church and the people who are receiving, you both have a job here. And really, sort of our job out here, it actually happens to me too as I'm studying. I'm doing the same thing you do. You know what one of your jobs is? Listen, I have heart disease in my family. And when people get heart disease, oftentimes they have to go and they have to get stents open-heart surgery, right? And before you get your surgery, what do you do? You go into the doctor's office, and what do they make you sign? What kind of forms? A consent form, right? Here are all the uh, risks, but you, you have to say, I'm giving you the right to take that really dastardly scalpel and cut me wide open. Is that what you're saying? I'm giving you the authority to come and invade my body and fix it. And you see, that's what us, as a body of believers, when we encounter the word, should be saying to the Lord, (laughs) come and do surgery, spiritually, of course. 
and do that work that will make me healthy, and it might even hurt. And you know, I remember when my dad had open heart surgery, his, oh, he, they broke his sternum or whatever, and it was miserable for like three or four weeks. But he was willing to endure it to live for longer and to be healthier. You see what I'm saying? And you see what has to happen? And, and, and what you say is, I think, when you come to encounter the word, is I don't want you to just itch my ears and tell me what I want to hear. I want you, I want us, I want us to study as people the whole counsel of God. In fact, you say, well, that's bad news. Well, it's not bad news because in Acts chapter 20, it says the word of God then builds you back up. (laughs) It does surgery, but it builds you up. It makes you healthy. In fact, in Colossians 3, 16, do you know this? We're to admonish one another in the word. If I came up and said, hey, uh, maybe I just, I was going to call one of the Bobs over here and I say, hey, Bob, uh, uh, hey, Bob, uh, why don't you come down to my office today and I'll admonish you. You'd say, what? That wouldn't be very fun. And yet that's what the word does. It sort of does that thing that may sting sometimes, but it's so healthy for us. You get it? And here God said, I know it's your family. I know it's a festival. I know it's a time of partying and fun and all that sort of thing. But these people have turned against me. And I want you to go give them the full counsel. I want you to not only get them to the place where they hear the word of God, but they obey it and repent and turn from their ways, you see. Well, if you won't listen to me to walk, oh, I think I read this part. Yeah, uh, you're going to be like Shiloh. Remember that? I just read that up until verse 6. Well, what is Shiloh? Well, when you encounter Shiloh, you, you need to remember this. This is the place where God used to dwell uh, before Solomon built the temple. He had a tabernacle, a tent that went around the wilderness, right? And it settled in Shiloh. And what was inside the tent? The presence of God, the Shekinah glory, it was in the Holy of Holies, the room in the back that only one person could go in, the great high priest, once a year. So in other words, what God is saying to them, and they all know it when they read it, if you do these things, great. If you don't do these things, you're going to be like Shiloh, which means my presence is going to be gone. Folks, what is the whole story of the Bible from the beginning to the end, and that's that we need the presence of the Lord. He walks with us and talks with us in the garden. Then they hid from him, and then, then the whole message of the Bible all the way to the last chapter of Revelation is, can we be with God? And in the last chapter of Revelation, you know, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and all that, it says that God is going to dwell with us. It's the whole thing. It's where we're healthy and right, and uh, uh, that's the safest place to be. So, here it is. They had this tent of meeting in Shiloh, and some enemies came, the Philistines, and stole it, you see, and uh, Shiloh was ruined. So, the presence of the Lord left the temple, and the Philistines had taken it and Shiloh was left in ruins and wreck. 
And that's what he says our life will be without him and his presence. He's telling them here in this chapter. So the priests, look at this, chapter 7, and the prophets and all the people, chapter 7, verse 7, heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people, look at this, seized him. I want you to see something here. That here, Jeremiah in these last several chapters is contending for truth amidst lies. Isn't that what we do as Christians all the time? That's what we're called to do is to fight these lies of the enemy like secularism and postmodernism and Marxism and Islam and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and on and on and we go. And we're coming in with the truth. We're constantly contending. That's what Jeremiah is doing here. And in this case, look at this, he puts his life on the line. They come in and they seize him. That the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him saying, catch this, you will surely die. Now he comes from a priestly family, folks. It's his family or people that know him that are actually putting him on trial here. Well, why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, they say? This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate. It's like what we just read in 2 Timothy 4. The people are saying, don't tell us the bad stuff. Why do you talk about sin and judgment and hell? Don't talk about that stuff. Love wins. And here he says, my goodness, why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord? It's just like today. The city shall be desolate. Why are you saying all these things? And all the people were gathered around against Jeremiah when the house, or in the house of the Lord. Verse 10. Now when the princes of Judah heard these things, different than the priests and the prophets. When the princes, the leaders of the city, heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord, sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, this man deserves to die, for he's prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and the people, all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house, against this city, with all the words that you've heard. Now, therefore, amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent. In the King James Version, it says, Repent of him. And you say to yourself, Wait a second. Does God change his mind? Does God repent? And I would say the answer is no. And the best explanation that I've read with respect to this is from G. Campbell Morgan. And I'm going to read a little bit to you, but I need to tell you this. In Isaiah 28.10, different than Jeremiah, in Isaiah 28.10, Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now really plug in right here, calls the judgment of God's people in another circumstance, but he calls the judgments of God's people in another circumstance. In the Hebrew, he calls it a strange act, or in the New King James that I read, an unusual act. And that's a really interesting phrase. But here's what I, and that's going to come into play here in a minute. That's why I told you this. I want you to read this. It's not, or I want you to hear this, it's not merely that God will change his mind, 
God doesn't change his mind. It's not that he will change his mind at all. It's that he will change his activity because he can't change his mind. His mind is the mind of compassion, of love, of tenderness. The supreme desire of the heart of God is never to smite, but always to heal. Never to afflict, but always to bless. If men have turned from him, watch this, they have made their own whips and sufferings. When they turn back, he will repent him or relent of it. That is an unveiling by reverent suggestion. Watch this. you got to just plug into this. This will do something to your heart. Listen to what he says. It's an unveiling by reverent suggestion of the sorrow of the heart of God. It's the unveiling of the sorrow of the heart of God. Watch this. Of the breathing sigh of relief when the penitent man or nation turns back to him. You catching that? And of the activity out of sorrow, which is for the healing and the consolation of the people that turn. In other words, there's no greater phrase or word in all of the Bible, older new than this, Amend your ways and your doings, listen to the voice of God, and God will repent him of the calamity that he appointed. And out of that sorrow and activity will turn back the forces that are marching against you. In other words, the Lord, G. Campbell Morgan argues in this phrase, His heart is that none should perish, but that all would receive eternal life. His heart is that we would be repentant people. His heart is that we wouldn't hide, that we would come out in the darkness, even with our sin. When we sin, he says, agree with your adversary quickly. Don't protest. Admit it. Confess it. Repent of it. And it says here, did you catch what he just said? His heart is relieved because you've done so. Wow, that's beautiful. And he changes his activity, not his mind. Beautiful stuff. And you see it here as God mentions it there in verse 13. As for me here, I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you, verse 14 says. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you'll surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on this city and on its inhabitants. For, the tr- for truly the Lord has sent me to speak all these things in your hearing. So the princes and all the people said to the priests and prophets, this man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Now I just want you to think of something. Remember what the trial of Jesus was like? He was totally innocent. Jeremiah here is innocent. Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke, verse 17, to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord. Now this is great legal work right here. You get this? When I was in law school, we didn't really have computers that much. 1990 or 1989 through 1992, we had computers, but not like now. And so there's this thing called shepherdizing. We just had to learn how to shepherdize in books, and that's this, this is what shepherdizing is. You'd find a case that stood for a piece of the law or a proposition of the law or a principle in the law, and then you'd have to go in these books. It was awful. I mean awful. 
And in order to cite that case in the brief that you were preparing, you had to shepherdize it. And shepherdize is just a manufacturer of the books, but everybody calls it shepherdizing. And what shepherdizing means is you have to check these links all those years to make sure that that case has never been overturned or else you better not cite it for the proposition in which you're using it because it's been overturned. But if it's not been overturned, bang, you put it in the brief and you win. They just put legal, in other words, American jurisprudence is based on legal precedent. And look here. That's what these elders did. They pulled in case law and said, you can't kill this guy. Remember Micah of Morasheth? He prophesied in the days of Hezekiah the king, Hezekiah. And spoke to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruin, and the mountains of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Listen, they said, this is legal precedent, spiritual precedent. A hundred years ago or so, in Micah 3.12, that's where that comes from. Micah prophesied this, preached the same thing, and the people listened and repented. And guess what happened in 701 B.C.? After the Assyrians, not the Babylonians, ripped out the northern kingdom of Israel. This is a fascinating piece of scripture. scripture. They came down right to the gates of Israel in 701 B.C. But because Hezekiah and the people listened, God relented and Jerusalem was not ransacked. You get it? So what he's doing here is he's putting in legal precedent or spiritual precedent, and he's praying that way to the Lord, or he's, uh, the elders are making that case, and that's the case we make with the Lord. You get that? We pray the precedent of God. We pray, not E-Y, A-Y, we pray based on the character of God and the things that God have done, and they are, they're smart this way. Okay, watch this. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. There's the legal precedent. Now, there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord. His name was Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim, if you have my handy-dandy chicken scratch, you'd know which king that is, I can give this to you, with all his mighty men and all the princes, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Urijah heard it, listen to this, this is important, always Egypt is always important, he went down to Egypt and fled. Remember what Egypt stands for? The world and godlessness and sin. He didn't trust God. He was afraid, and he fled, and he went to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim, the king, sent men to Egypt, Elnathan, the son of Akbor, and other men who went with him to Egypt. And they brought Urijah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim, the king, who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. And you say, well, that's a weird story. Well, what he's showing you there is Uriah's cowardice. He didn't trust God. And he went down into Egypt when we know that was not where you should go for spiritual wisdom. <laughs> but Jeremiah, watch this, stood in the hard place where he was the only one saying God's word. 
and he stood right there, and he didn't move. God's just contrasting the two here. Okay, you're saying, well, what is all of this about? Well, keep going. Jeremiah continues to fight lies and stand up for the truth. Watch this. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, his word came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, Make for yourselves bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. <laughs> See this? In the beginning of the reign, uh, word comes to Jeremiah. Uh, now, you know, I, I want you to go back to your action sermons, Jeremiah. And I want you to get some yokes. And I want you to yoke yourself up. And I want you to send some yokes out to some of the people who are generally enemies of God, but are sort of coming into kind of a con, uh, confederation with the people of God because they know that there's some great superpowers out there like Babylon who are close at the gate. Get it? And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to give them all yokes, a neck thing. Like, what? So he gives them. He goes, by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judea, uh, uh, who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and command them to say to their masters. This is such a weird thing to say. Think about it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, that you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are on the ground, and by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. Now, you should probably underline that. You remember that you're not the potter, you're the clay. I'm not the potter, I'm the clay. I don't look up from you know, the spinning wheel and tell the potter how to make me. It makes no sense. I come from the dust of the earth. He's shaping. He's forming me. And sometimes what he does when he sees some imperfections, sorry, can't speak, he throws the whole thing on the ground. He redoes it, pow, and it hurts a little bit. And then he shapes it back up, and he gets some more water on there, and he redoes it. And he might do that two or three times, but so what? He's the potter. We're the clay. And God says here, I will do what seems proper to me. Who here is comfortable with that statement? Think about that. Yeah. Are we comfortable with that statement? I think we are learning to be comfortable with that statement. Let's let it be proper for God to rule our lives. Well, now I have given all these lands in the hand of Nebi. I'll call him Nebi. The king of ne Babylon, my servant. Now, you catch that? Nebuchadnezzar, Nebi, is the servant of God, and he has no idea. Zip. None. He doesn't worship God. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't pay money into the tithing box. He doesn't go to a prayer meeting. He doesn't help old ladies across the street. He doesn't go on missions trips. He doesn't go to the nursing homes. He doesn't know God, and God says, you're my servant. I'm like, what? What tells you something big? God rules over the kingdoms. We're all worried about the person in Turkey, that dude, I can't even say his name. We're worried about Putin, da 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 da. I get it. I know what the end times documents say, but God rules over them. He does. So all nations are going to serve him. Serve who? All nations, he's saying to the confederation who used to be enemies but who are worried about Babylon, they're saying, if you want to do the right thing, can you imagine that God's saying this to tell Jeremiah to tell people? Jeremiah, go tell people to just submit to Babylon. What? That's a really unpopular message, folks. And he says this, 
So all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son. And that just really means a long time. His son did serve him and then his brother-in-law served him. But that's just a phrase that means a long time. Until the time of his land comes, which is the 70 years, and then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. What a weird thing for the Lord to say, right? That's not American Christianity. American Christianity is make me comfortable. I don't want to hear about judgment. I don't want to hear about sin. I don't want to hear about being molded and shaped. I don't want to hear about holiness. I want to hear about me. And what's in it for me? Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. That nation I will punish, says the Lord. I'm going to punish that nation with the sword, with famine, pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or uh, your sorcerers who speak to you saying, now watch what the people, the religious, spiritual people were actually saying. You shall not serve the king of Babylon. Do you see how popular that message would have been? And it actually sounds good. How would I be having to submit to the enemy of God? What do you mean? Do you see how close we have to be to the word of God by the Spirit of God to be in tune because there's a lot of things that sound religious that aren't good for us. And here, he says, the sorcerers, the dreamers, the soothsayers, occultic type of people are going to say to you, you're not going to serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy, they actually lie to you to remove you far from your land. And I will drive you out and you will perish. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall or till and, uh, it and dwell in it. You see that? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. There's this amazing thing that sounds great, that we should not put ourselves under Babylon, and yet the word of the Lord was, go to Babylon, that you are to submit to Babylon. Look in verse 12, I also spoke to Zedekiah, that's the king of Judah, according to these words. I told him, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon, serve him and his people, and live why will you die, you and your people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against uh, the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Therefore, verse 14, don't listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you, saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. You see that? For I have not sent them, says the Lord, that they prophesy a lie in my name, that I may drive you out, and that you may perish in the prophets who prophesy to you. Now remember, last week, we talked about it in First John and other places. Do you know that there's tons of false prophets now? And they want you to follow what their teachings and things that they talk about. And the Bible has some really harsh words for false prophets. And so when you read this, what do you think? My goodness, I want to know the words so intimately that I can't be duped. I want to know by the Holy Spirit of God. Check this out. Also, I spoke to the priests and all the people. Again, that's his family. Verse 16, thus 
says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. Don't listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city be laid waste? But if they are prophets and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord in the house of the king of Judah and at Jerusalem do not go to Babylon. Now, this is just a thing because Nebuchadnezzar was coming actually into the temple and taking instruments out and back to Babylon. And some of the prophets were saying, oh, come on. Some were saying uh, they would uh, uh, go back and some said they wouldn't go back. And what he's saying is, you know, listen to the Lord and whatever comes true, that's a true prophet because we know in Deuteronomy what a prophet <laughs> prophesies must come true. For thus says the Lord in verse 19, uh, for thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, concerning the sea, concerning the carts, concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, didn't take. See, he didn't take them. When he carried away captive Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem, verse 21, Yes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah uh, and of Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there they shall be, watch this, until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. And that's the grace, you see. There's coming a day when all these things, all the vessels are going to be taken away, which is a real affront to the people of Israel or Judah because, come on, this is the holy vessels that were in the house of the Lord. Everything's being stripped away. That's the religious and political and social epicenter of everything that we are. And, and now we're being ripped off and it's being ripped off. Now watch, just hang in here for a minute because this has a point. And this is the grace that I will visit them according to the 70 years. Remember the 70 years. I keep telling you that because it's really important. And then I will bring them up and I will restore them to this place. And you could go back to the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verses 7 through 11, and that very thing happened. Those instruments were restored. God remembers mercy, folks. Habakkuk 3.2. Okay, now I'm rushing a little bit. I know it. I'll have people talk to me about it. I get it. But here we go in chapter 28, and here's why. And it happened in the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, Hananiah now is a false prophet. Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, who was from Gibeon. Now, that's important. Do you know, remember where Gibeon was? Gibeon, or the Gibeonites, were the people who lied to Israel in the days of Joshua. And you could go back to Joshua 9, 1 through 15, and you could see the Gibeonites were known for being deceptive and liars. And Hananiah was a Gibeonite. Now, this has nothing to do with today's sermon, but I'm going to go take a little side trail. You see how important it is what you do at your house, what you do in your neighborhood, what you do in your country, what, what you do with the people who are with you all the time. They're watching. 
Are you saying one thing at church, but being another at home? And I'm not talking about godly perfection. No, we all blow it at home because we're there 24-7 and there's people there. But do you say you're sorry? Do you make up? Do you contend? Do, do you make it a place that is, is where the gospel is lived out? There's sorrow, forgiveness and repentance and mercy and thanksgiving and gratitude in your home. Or are you one who's lying and cheating and stealing? Check this out. Your kids see it. And here, this one, Hananiah, was a Gibeonite, and that had rubbed off. That had kind of come down into their family. Can God break in and break that cycle? Of course he can. But man, let's be careful. Let's love the Lord and love other people and train our kids up for 18 straight years and then set them free to go share the gospel with a dying and hurting world. Well, that's my rabbit trail. But look, who was from Gibeon spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and of all the people saying, verse 2, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. Now watch, you guys are like glazed over, but I'm telling you, man, if you get this, you're going to be blessed. Here comes this false prophet. Here comes this false prophet. And this prof- false prophet says, 70 years. Everything's coming back in two years. Now, let me ask you something. What do you think the people of Judah like better? Two years or 70 years? Two years, right? And I've got to ask you a question. Whose church would you rather go to? Hananiah's or Jeremiah's? You think about that. The Bible tells us that many in the congregation love whatever's buzzing in their ears for the time. Tell me that. Tell me that. Tell me that. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about judgment. Don't tell me who I am without the Lord in my life. No, let's talk about grace and mercy all the time. Let's talk about the good things and the crowns we're going to receive. And I love to talk about those things. But how in the world could we ever rejoice always, and again I say rejoice, if we don't know where we've come from? I'm not sure we can. I think the joy of the Lord is our strength that we all like to quote only comes about when you recognize where God brought you out of or what God brought you out of. You get it? And here I'm wondering, whose church would you rather go to? Would you rather go to Hananiah's church or would you rather go to Jeremiah's church? How about this? Which friend would you rather be with? Hananiah or Jeremiah? Let me remind you of something in Proverbs chapter 27. You want to go there? You probably do want to go there. Because it's really a shocking verse that many of you have already heard, but it's sort of a shocking verse. You say, wait a minute, is this in here? How about go to chapter five, or chapter 27, verse 5 of the book of Proverbs. You ready for this? Whose friend would you rather be? Or friend would you rather have? Would you rather have Hananiah, who just tells you, come on, man, it's going to happen in two years? Or would you rather have Jeremiah, who tells you the truth and cries about it? Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds 
of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So I'm asking you, who would you rather have as a friend? And listen, we talked about this on Sunday. Truth without love is pure brutality. We're not talking about that. But love without truth is total wimpiness. It has nothing to it. It's just, hi, how are you? I don't really care about you. I care about me and you like me because I'm a people pleaser. So hi, how are you? But how would you like it if you could get with that friend and they could openly tell you what you do is wrong or what you do is right or what's going on and then challenge you in the best way, in a healthy way, not in a bad way? You know what it would take for somebody like that to come into your life? You to let them do it and not get so defensive. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Why? Because it leads to spiritual health. This isn't, hey, by the way, if you're the friend who's been invited in, it's not fair game to, you know, just blow people up, right? We speak the truth in love. We lovingly say the truth. How about this in chapter, or chapter 27, verse 9? Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives a light, or gives delight. Listen to this. By hardy. What does hardy mean? That's heavy. A lot of good, meaty counsel, not wimpy counsel. Do you get that? How about the one that you all love to say and put on the back of the t-shirts at the men's retreat? As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of a friend. Well, I don't know if you notice, but if you rub iron together, that ain't real soft and delicate. We're shaping one another. Sometimes that hurts a little bit. Sometimes you have to lower your pride. Sometimes you have to submit to it. Who would you rather be friends with? Hananiah or Jeremiah? Interesting, right? Well, here's this guy. He's running around. If you go back to verse or chapter 28 of Jeremiah, it's going to happen in two years. That's what Hananiah says. And then in verse 5, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who are carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people, verse 8, The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. This sort of is probably Jeremiah's way of saying, man, I wish it were so. Man, I wish it were so. Some believe he's being sarcastic here, but he's probably saying, I wish you were right. But Hananiah, or then Hananiah, verse 10, the prophet took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of nations within the space of two full years. Watch this. And the prophet Jeremiah went his own way. Now, I want to take you back to Proverbs. 
Wow, we don't get there very often, so that's cool. Go to Proverbs 26. I should have told us to keep our hand right there, huh? Sorry about that. Proverbs 26. Look at this. Proverbs 26, look in verse 4. (laughs) And then look in verse 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you will also be like him. But look in verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own wise. So which is it? It's both. What the Lord's saying here, I think, is sometimes you have to, oh, I should write a song about this. Know when to fold them, right? No, but you, why, you need to walk away sometimes. Sometimes in your discernment as you pray to the Lord, you just know that nothing's going to come of it. Just walk away from the fool. But sometimes the fool needs to hear the truth, and you need to do it. And that's a real discerning thing. And here the prophet Jeremiah just walked away. Look at this in verse 12. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah, the prophet, had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their places replace yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebi, king of Babylon, and they'll serve him. I have also, I have given him the beasts of the field also. I've given him the beasts of the field. Then the prophet Jeremiah uh, uh, said to Hananiah the prophet, hear now Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. You see why false prophets are so bad? They can sound religious. They can sound like the right thing. And you are lying according to what the word of the Lord is, says. So it takes people down paths that God doesn't want them to go. Therefore, verse 16, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast, from you, cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. You see why it's so important, man, to know the word and to teach the word, even when you're counseling in the right and appropriate way. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Man, being a false prophet is deadly. I'm going to finish with this. This is talking about a yoke on all these nations. It's the picture of a yoke. Do you know what happened in Daniel 4? Well, turn over there real quick. Uh, Just a few uh, prophets to your right. (laughs) Look in Daniel 4. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in Daniel's time, is up on the roof of his palace. He was walking about the royal palace in verse 28 of Daniel 4. And this king said, isn't this great, this Babylon, watch this, that I have built for a dwelling place, a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. And while the word is still in the king's mouth, a voice comes from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom has departed from you and they'll drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Sound familiar? Remember, he said he was going to give Nebuchadnezzar (laughs) dominion over the beasts. Isn't that interesting when we're reading it in Jeremiah? Then they shall make you eat grass like oxen seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High, watch this, 
rules in the kingdom of men. That very hour, the word was fulfilled. Nebi was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Now watch this. And at the end of the time, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honor him who lives forever. And here comes the question. Who are you going to let yoke up you? Where are you going to yoke up? Are you going to yoke up in relationships in my husband and my wife? Are you going to yoke up the kids? Are you going to yoke up your, your business? Are you Are going to yoke up your career, your image, your, uh, your, 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 you know, whether you're liked or whether you're not liked? Or are you going to yoke up with the Lord Jesus Christ himself? Because he says if you want real rest, you'll yoke up with me and my burden is light. You get it? Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest man on the earth at the time, humanly, wouldn't bow to the Lord Jesus. He said, it's my power and my majesty. That's what we say in America all the time. And he was driven to madness. But at the place in which he said, no, 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 I'll yoke up with you. You're the great uh, uh, creator of all things, not me tells us in Daniel 4 that his health, his, all the things were restored to him and he could live life like it was intended to be. Isn't that interesting? So the question becomes, who do we yoke up with? Where are you yoked? Where am I yoked? Let's all yoke with Jesus. It's so pastors speak, isn't it? Well, maybe... Maybe it's pastor speak, and yet we have people all the time yoking up on issues that aren't biblical, but <laughs> preoccupy people and their life. And they yoke to that issue, or they yoke to this thing, and they, they rest everything upon it. And they could even be making millions of dollars or big bucks like Nebuchadnezzar and rule over kingdoms. And the truth is, they're always just driving themselves into the wilderness until we yoke back up with him. So what is it in your life? What is it in my life? What is it that I'm not letting the Lord touch? Maybe what is it that I'm not yoking the Lord to or with? And as we pray, maybe that's something in your life and you want to say, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to rely upon my own strength and power and position. I want to recognize that I'm nothing without you and that you give me this life and this business and this family. And Lord, I want to be a great steward of all that you've given me and move forward teaching and training these young people or the people that have been charged with in all your ways, Lord. Let's pray. So, Lord, we do. We want to come here and we want to say that we praise you, Lord. We thank you. How can something so old, so many years ago, Jeremiah, <laughs> be so relevant today, Lord? Lord, I pray that this was more than an exercise in learning information about the Bible, but that we were 
finding more about finding out more of you, Lord, and that you were taking these things and knitting them to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace to build us up in the word. The Bible says you'll build us up in the word, but also you'd give us the grace to go out and obey the word. Just like the six years of planting and the seventh year of obedience. Help us to trust and depend with our families, with our marriages, with our singleness, with our careers, with our money, with everything, Lord. Help us to use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.